Welcome to the Athletics of Business, a podcast about how the traits and behaviors of elite athletes and remarkable business leaders frequently intersect. The real stories and hard lessons to help you level up your leadership and performance. Now your host, Ed Molitor. Welcome back to another episode of the Athletics of Business podcast. I am your host and CEO of the Molitor Group, Ed Molitor. And do forgive me, please, if I sound a little bit fatigued because, well, I am. But that doesn't mean I'm not excited. I am so excited to be here with you today. It is going to be a solo cast, and we're going to talk about a lot of great stuff. But here's why I'm tired. Now, disclaimer, for a brief minute here, I'm going to talk a little bit about myself, and I'm not a fan of doing that, as you probably have gotten to know me through the podcast and, and through all the content that we put out. But the reason I'm tired, I am training for my first ever half Ironman, a 70.3, which is up in Frankfurt, Michigan, just north of Traverse City which means it's going to be hilly, which also means the swim is going to be in Lake Michigan, which that can go uh, sideways in a real hurry. But training has been a bear. And I'll let you in on a little secret, okay? A little secret I'm telling folks in 45 countries where this podcast has been downloaded. So not so much of a secret, but what is it they say? Telegram, telephone, and tell an Irishman? Well, I'm an Irishman, so there's that secret. I am worn out by training because I have been training for this since January, end of January, early February of 2020 because last year's race was canceled for obvious reasons with the COVID pandemic. But I never stopped training. Uh, swimming, we couldn't get in the pool, but I did dry land swimming, which was basically just stretch bands around poles in my basement. Uh, it was about as fun as poking yourself in the eye with a steak knife for that matter. But anyways, so today was one of those days that was just a bear, which was ironic because I had a phenomenal weekend. I did a 12-mile run, uh, pretty good clip uh, on Saturday, was really thrilled with it. And then yesterday, I did a 56-mile bike ride, which is the distance of the half Ironman. So the half Ironman itself is a 1.2-mile swim, 56-mile bike, and then a half marathon and 13.1 miles. And I felt really, really good when I got off the bike. And then today, true to what my man John has said during the NBA final series when someone posed a great question to him, they asked him at such a young age, how did he learn to keep his ego in check? And so many folks don't figure that out until later in their career. And we're going to talk into this in the business world in a second because that's something we see a lot. It's very relevant. Young folks trying to make their name known and their ego can get away from them a little bit and they figure it out later in their career when they start to gravitate towards, move towards, earn leadership positions that they might not be ready for. But anyways, he said when I, you know, I learned one of the things like if I talk about like I did this in game five, I had, I forget the exact numbers, but let's say 30, 20, and 10, which because he did it. Matter of fact, it might have been 40, 18, and 10 in, you know, I had this unbelievable block shot, I, 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 what usually happens the next day is you suck. And that is one of the reasons, like his answer was, what's taught me about ego? Life has taught me about ego. And that was one of the lessons he learned. When you focus on I and your great performances in the past, the next day is going to suck. Well, my run today absolutely sucked. Okay. And I don't know if I should be saying that word that much, forgive me, but it was uh, brutal. So I'm at that stage of the game in training and, you know, talking about Giannis and talking about that press conference. I want to bring up a couple of points he made that were mind-blowing to me because they were made in the press conference after a big win, after an incredible performance. And he said this, okay, in response to the question, how do you keep your ego in check? What taught you about that? And he said, what taught me was, and he paused, and he said, life, okay? And then he went on and say, he said, focusing on the past, three things. First thing, focusing on the past is ego. Focusing on the past is ego. The second thing, focusing on the future is pride. And the third thing, 
focusing on the present is humility. Let me repeat those. First, focusing on the past is ego. Focusing on the future is pride. And focusing on the present is humility. Now, what is he saying there? When you focus on the moment, that's all that matters, the here and now, the execution of every single thing that you're doing. Like for me today on the run, honestly, it was putting one foot in front of the other at some point. It was not pretty. You know, I think he's also saying whatever happened in the past, it does not matter. When it happens in the future, you can't really control. Like you can have a vision, you can visualize a great performance. You can sit there, put all the pieces together and set your goals. But what happens in the future, just don't have control over. So it doesn't really matter that much, right? I want you to think about that in your own world. How much of the day do we spend focusing on the past, focusing on the future, as opposed to focusing on the here and now and really reflecting on what's going on in our world and what lies ahead of us in the immediate moment. Now, I want to compare that to the brilliant comments by PGA golfer Bryson Chambeau. And if you're not golfer fan, Bryson DeChambeau, excuse me, Bryson DeChambeau, he can hit the golf ball off the tee about 3,000 yards. I'm not kidding. Maybe it's only 2,000. But anyways, he really, really, really struggled in the open, really struggled. And he's got a club in his bag, the Cobra driver. And they have, and there's, their stories are, are endless. And I've heard this from, from some golf friends of mine that are in the industry, the golf club industry. And they have worked tirelessly to try and appease Bryson DeChambeau to get him the perfect club face on the driver so he can crush 400-yard drives, which is mind-blowing when you really think about it. And if you've ever seen him warm up on the driving range, it's, it's a bit impressive. But he just says and does some really, how do I want to say this? Some really, he, he just uses some poor judgment. He just says some really off things, okay? And he doesn't exercise emotional intelligence sometimes, unlike my main Giannis, who paused before answering an incredible question, and his answer was even more phenomenal. He paused, right? So after one of the rounds in the open, here was his quote. If I can hit it down the middle of the fairway, that's great. But with the driver right now, meaning literally the driver in his bag right now that Cobra has worked tirelessly on. But with the driver right now, the driver sucks. Not me, not my mindset, not I'm being a mental midget out on the course, not I've got a lot of things going on off the course, not I'm not executing. I mean, yeah, they spent years and years trying to create the perfect club face for me, but it's the club. It's not me, right? He goes on to say, it's not a good face for me. And we're still trying to figure out how to make it good on the mishits. Well, hey, how about this? Make fewer mishits. I'm living on the razor's edge, like I've told people for a long time. If I'm a PGA golfer and I'm in a sudden death playoff with Bryson DeChambeau, I feel pretty good about my odds. Okay. So you compare those two comments and great lessons to take from both. You know, if golf were a team game, which obviously it is in the Ryder Cup and some other things, I would not want Bryson as my teammate. He throws everybody under the bus except himself, except taking accountability. Sure, he tried to walk back his comments. God knows how many handlers told him to walk back his comments. But the bottom line is this. He would not be a good teammate. Giannis, I'd run through a wall for him. Okay, I'd run through five walls for him. But, and he would be a great teammate. Now, why am I telling you this? What does this have to do with today's podcast, Victory Defined? It has everything to do with it. Because all of us have a different definition of victory. All of us have a different definition of what winning means to us and what success looks like to us and what success defined means to us. I guarantee you that Giannis and Bryson have two completely different definitions. And Giannis's definition eh, most likely has to do with we, whereas Bryson's most likely is focused on 
me, hey, I get it. I get it's an individual sport, right? I guess golf is a very, very individual sport, but he has a caddy on his bag, right? That he's helping support. He has his family. He has his sponsors. He has the, the makers of his golf club. He has the tournament folks. There's a lot of people. I mean, it's bigger. It's still bigger, even though it's an individual sport. It's still bigger than him. It's still bigger than Bryson DeChambeau, his world. As I was sitting here today, laying out the podcast for you and the content and trying to really identify the difference, you know, how different victory can be to certain people. Something popped in my head because right, right, right now in front of us, the landscape of college sports is changing exponentially. And we will never, ever, ever see the NCAA like it was before. We won't see it like it was a month ago. We won't see it like it's two, it was two months ago. And it's really interesting. And yes, obviously there's the, the NIL, right? And there's athletes making money off of that. There's the president of the NCAA, Emirate, coming out and finally saying it's time for the NCAA to be deregulated. When what he really should say is we deregulated it a long time ago. And instead of acting like it wasn't the wild, wild west, we're just going to embrace it for being wild, wild west. Now, I'm not saying right, wrong, indifferent what my opinion is. This is not about this is the Athletics of Business podcast, not the Business of Athletics podcast. But speaking of which, we're going to have a great guest here. A few episodes from now, maybe four episodes from now, Gabe Bach. And Gabe is just incredible. I and mean, he's launched a podcast that is just about that, is about the business of athletics. And Gabe was the host of Tech Radio uh, for years. He is a legend down in Texas A&M. He's been a good friend, was very kind to me when I had uh, my big event down there and have enjoyed getting to know him again over the years. He was down there when we were coaching at A&M. But again, this episode is the Athletics of Business, so I'm not going to start giving my opinion. but Here's the deal. Recently, okay, there was a story that was broke by a Houston Chronicle writer that Texas and Oklahoma were looking to leave the Big 12 and join the SEC. Now, there's so many different layers to that. And what is wrong with that? Right now, everything, I mean, it always has been this way, but money is absolutely driving college sports at that level. Okay, and we know this. We know this. But money is driving college sports. But I started to think about this in the sense of victory defined and what did that mean? Now, let me back up. That writer, Okay, that broke that story in the Houston Chronicle. Good friend of mine, Brent Zorneman. Okay, Brent was a, and I don't want to call you, Brent, I don't want to say you were a beat writer, but he was, he was a writer, was our beat writer for Texas A&M men's basketball. I was really fortunate to get to know him, get to spend some time with him. And three years ago, it's hard to believe, it's already going to be three years this coming April. So two and a half years ago, I was down there for um, getting ready for one of my events that I was hosting at Texas A&M at Kyle Field. And we went to breakfast. It was awesome. He brought his son, went out to breakfast. And he, he sits down at breakfast and he hands me this book. I got no idea. It's More Tales from Aggieland by Brent Cerneman, right? Forward by Dat Wynn, one of the greatest Aggies of all time. Dat, I know you're a fan of the show. Just so much respect for you. He hands me the book. He says, page 55. I said, page 55? What are, you, what are you talking about? So I open up to page 55. And there's a quote from Eddie Molitor. That's me. You know me as Ed Molitor. But, and the quote was from back in 1998 when we got let go of Texas A&M. When people talk about the pride of Aggieland, they're legitimate. I'll brag about living here until they put me in a grave. We lived and died with every single bounce of the ball. Unfortunately, we died with it. Okay. So I don't know if we were sitting at the tap when I gave him that comment or where we were we at. I think we might've been on the phone actually. But my point being is winning means something different to everybody. And Brent broke this amazing story. And all of a sudden it became very apparent when he started to see the comments from all the other universities and athletic departments and, and A&M, I, I thought kind of faux pod a little bit when they said, we'll do everything we can to protect Texas A&M because it came off as 
we now there's an agreement in place that they would be the only school in the state of Texas in the SEC, which is brilliant, which I commend them for. It's the way it should be. But the comments kind of came off as we don't want Texas playing in our backyard. Not that we're scared of them, not that they make us nervous, but there's just some negative overtone, which they corrected their position on it in a very strong way, in a very powerful way. But again, money is driving this. And this is something we'll talk about in four episodes. So I started to think about it, though. You think about victory defined at the college level. And you think at the highest level, right? The TV rights, the TV money. It's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars in the NCAA tournament, okay? Driving a sport that kids aspire to play at the college level from the time they're four, five, six, seven years old, that their parents spend countless hours and money and just resources trying to get their kids to that level. The TV people, the upper administration of universities, okay? Of the power five schools of the mid-majors, right? Division one. They've got an agenda and their agenda is to, to drive revenue, to market the university, to drive enrollment, right? To bring dollars into the college town, to bring dollars into the school, to get TV contracts. I get that. But let's, let's get to the root of that. And you think about that in a corporate environment, right? That's the big corporation. That's the massive corporation. I, I deal, majority of my work is in three industries, okay? And that's the financial industry, whether it be financial planning, whether it be investment, whether it be the mortgage industry, the banking industry, the recruiting industry and quite a bit of work in the, the health science industry, the medical industry, pharma, biomedical devices, biomedical sales. It's where a lot of my work is. Okay. So you have some smaller corporations, you have some midsize and you have the large ones, right? But then you start to peel away at it and you look at what victory means to other people. Victory means to the athletic director, something similar that it means to upper administration. Now you move down to athletic director support staff. And that means being a part of something bigger than themselves, doing what they can to help all the athletic programs, whether it be lacrosse, whether it be football, whether it be basketball, baseball, softball, track and field, water polo, whatever it may be. And then you get to the coaches and it's really interesting there. And you get to the coaches and you get to the coaches of the revenue sports and especially at the highest level. And they're driven by a handful of different things. Some are pure money. Some love their contracts and some want to see a certain dollar figure in the bank account before they retire. Okay. I don't necessarily agree with that. Some thrive and building an incredible culture and having an incredible program and making an impact on their players' lives, on their coaching staff's lives, on the managers, the support staff, in the community, right? Some want to really leave a legacy at the school they're at. You know, they're, they're later in their career. Others are upstart coaches. They want, to, they want to win for two, three years, and they want to bounce. They want to move. They want to get somewhere. They want to climb that ladder. Sounds like the corporate world, doesn't it? Okay, the assistant coaches, what, is, what, what does winning mean to them? What, is, what does victory mean to them? Now, think about this. Academic advisors. What does winning mean to academic advisors? Now, you may have chuckled. I'll tell you what. I've been in the throes of, of major college basketball. Academic advisors care, and those kids go to class. Not in every school, not every kid. But I'll tell you this right now. Those kids want an education. And now we're talking about the NIL and these kids getting paid for their, their image and getting paid for their names, right, and getting licensing. Hey, I'll tell you this right now. They deserve it. Think about this. I was a walk-on in Crete, a walk-on. I was an okay I was a pretty good student in high school. I got an academic scholarship, which I was not allowed to accept because it would go towards our scholarship money, our, our count, our scholarship count, okay? I couldn't get a job during the school year, even though I wasn't on a scholarship, even though I wasn't getting room and board, even though I was not getting my dorm paid for, okay, room and board. I could not get a job because I was an athlete. These kids bring in millions and billions of dollars to the university. But you know what? Those men and women, young men and women want to win. 
They want to excel and succeed at the highest level. Now it's getting really bad. I mean, you got the transfer portal, you got all this nonsense. And if you're not a fan of college athletics, forgive me. But what the transfer portal is, it means you literally throw your name in a portal. Everybody gets to see it. And it's almost like a recruiter reaching out to you. You know, or you identify with a recruiter or some of those, uh, the services. And you can transfer. No strings attached. Transfer and be eligible. And it's just, it's getting bad. But those athletes, they want to win. The majority of athletes want to get degrees. Now what they're learning through the name and image licensing is they're learning how to be entrepreneurs. There's definitely going to be an advantage for, for the Power Five. There's definitely going to be an advantage for bigger universities, but they're learning how to be an entrepreneur. But every single one of them wants to win in what they do. And it means something to them, but it means something different to them. So my question to you is, what does winning mean to you? What does victory mean to you? See, victory defined for us here at the Molitor Group, Victory Defined is a program that is the foundation of the athletics and business operating system. And one of the first things we do when we work with clients, whether it's executive coaching clients, corporate clients, uh, whether they're doing some, some training, is we try to figure out what success means to them, what winning means to them, what victory looks like to them. And, and we start with the values. Okay. Because victory, now think about this, victory undefined is victory unfulfilled. Victory undefined is victory unfulfilled. Unless you know what you're trying to achieve, how do you know if you're really winning? I'm going to walk you through. I'm going to give you kind of the 30,000 foot view of what victory, how we break that down. And I'll share a couple of questions that we ask our clients. But here's the bottom line. The more precise you can be in defining what victory means to you, and the more clearly you can articulate that, the better the odds are that you'll achieve victory, that you'll win, that you'll be successful. And again, it's okay for winning to mean something different to you. But I wake up, up every single day and I want to win. Every single day I want to win. Not win at all costs. I want to win the relationships with my children. What does that mean? That means I'm, I'm a you know, servant mindset dad. That means I continue to teach life, teach life lessons no matter how hard it is. And it can be brutal at times. Okay. I want to win at being a husband. I want to win at being a CEO and an executive coach and a keynote speaker and a leadership consultant. Hey, I'll tell you this right now. I want to win in my training. I never want to have another run like I had today. But my point being is you need to figure out what it means to you. Because when you do that, you become more committed. You're not just interested in winning. You become more committed, right? And we talked a few solo casts ago about being, you know, the difference between committed and being interested. So think about that first. I mean, honestly, if I were to pick up the phone right now, pick up my cell phone right now and call you and say, hey, what does winning mean to you? Could you articulate it? Could you tell me what it means? Could you tell me what winning means to you? Could you tell me how you define victory? And I think we all define it differently. You know, I think you have to be able to measure it. We have an incredible program where you talk about how you measure victory and how you can quantify it. And there's absolutely ways to do it. Some incredible ways to do it, powerful ways to do it. But could you articulate that right now? Let me ask you, do you want to win? Are you willing to endure what you need to endure? Are you willing to sacrifice what you need to sacrifice? Do you have a burning desire to win? And I believe I talked about this on a solo cast. As a matter of fact, I know I did. And I talk about this in a lot of my presentations. But picture you, you or a loved one is laying on the OR table and you're having a life-saving procedure, not life-threatening, a life-saving procedure. And the doctor walks in and you can completely tell by his body language or her body language that they are disinterested, that they are going through the motions, that they are checking a box, that they really aren't that prepared. How do you feel about your chances? Don't you want a doctor that worked their lips off in med school, that shows up at the OR every single day, 
knowing maybe in this procedure, our backs are against the wall, but dang it, we are going to do our best to save this person's life. Isn't that the kind of doctor you want? Well, why wouldn't that be good enough for you? Why is just going through the motions every single day and checking boxes and doing what you're supposed to do? Why is that okay? What keeps you from winning? If you've had some tough losses this past quarter, this past month, why? What's keeping you from winning? And why does winning mean so much to you? And I'm going to tell you this, a little secret. Winning is going to mean more to you when you take the time to really define what victory means. Victory will mean more to you when you take the time to define what it means. And here is one of the keys. I'm going to jump into this real quick here, okay? What are the fundamentals that drive your success? So the way that I work with my clients on a victory define is we take the word victory. And even if you're not a fan of acronyms, stay with me because you'll like this. There's a lot here for you. The first letter is V, and that represents values, okay? That's a clear appreciation of what drives you, your team and your organization. Now, we talk about standards a lot. The standards that guide not only action, but also judgment, choice, attitude, and effort. What I love about values, when you really are intentional about it, when you really take the time to work at it and you're committed to it, values help build the unshakable foundation of authentic leadership, which builds what? What does it build? trust. It builds trust with your team. It builds trust with your peers. It builds trust with your customers, with your clients, with folks in your industry. And guess what else it builds? It builds trust with yourself. You have self-trust. Now I'm going to get going here, right? We take the eye. Intangibles, clarity and control of the details, right? And other factors. What other factors? Well, let's, let's go down the list. Grit, work ethic, passion, enthusiasm, mental toughness, positive energy. You can go on. Okay, that elevate champions. How you do what you do creates the difference between winning and losing. Do you do the little things? I call them separators. I call them game changers. I call them separators. What separates you today from who you were yesterday? What separates you from your competitor with a client, with a customer? What separates you from your peer who's going for the same leadership position that you are, the same promotion that you are? Think about that. What are the little things? Do you understand what the little things are that you do? And next we go to the C and the C, creativity. The ability to outthink your opponents. Who are your opponents, right? And how do you outthink them? You re reframing, improving and executing novel solutions, developing the ability, developing the ability to deliberately create ideas that add value for an organization and its stakeholders. How many times do you hear in a week, if you're a leader out there, okay, if you're a business leader, or even from your team members, if you're an aspiring leader, it's not my job. Thinking of new innovative things is not my job. I call BS on that. It is your job. It is your job. You're either expanding or contracting as a human being. And if you're not getting outside your comfort zone, if you're not stretching and expanding, then you're shrinking. So you're darn right. Being creative is your job. And by the way, give yourself some credit. You should want to be creative. Being creative is fun. Now, hey, I would like to think I'm a creative person. I've got some people in my orbit who are amazing, amazingly creative people. I pale in comparison to these folks, but I love trying and I love coming up with new ideas. I'd love to show you my whiteboard right here and all this stuff from just today. And that'll be, I'll take a picture of that. I'll put it in my file on my computer, take a picture of that, email it to myself, right? Save it. And there'll be more stuff up there tomorrow. So creativity. The T is for team. So far, we've had values, intangibles, creativity. Now, team is the T, and that's inspired and coordinated effort of leaders and team members, okay? So coaches and performers. Now, 
before I keep going, let's, let me remind you, today's workforce wants three things. And I, I believe this is multi-generational. I think it goes back years. It's the same thing that I wanted when I was a college athlete, a high school athlete. It's the same thing I wanted when I was in the mortgage business, when I was in the recruiting business. It's the same thing you know, the people that work for us wanted. And they want three things. They want to know that the work they do is important, that it has meaning. They want to know, number two, that they are valued. And number three, they want to be coached. So inspired and coordinated effort of leaders, coaches, and team members to accomplish challenges beyond their singular capability, defining roles and refining, defining roles and refining specific skills to enhance teams' overall capability and success. Obviously, together we do more. But what are we doing as a team? How do we define victory as a team? What does that look like to us? Singleness of purpose. Singleness of purpose. Then the O is objectives. And we really start getting into the execution of stuff here. The objectives is the motivating vision and mission of a different and better tomorrow. So clear articulation and not just saying what we're going to do, but clear articulation and execution of goals, projects, tasks, processes, and systems. Right now, how are you keeping score? What are your metrics? How are you measuring whether or not you're winning? That doesn't mean you're hitting your numbers every single time. That doesn't mean you're closing every sale, right? That doesn't mean you retain every single employee. All oh, that is great. All right, you're living in a vacuum if you think that's going to happen. But how are you measuring success? What are the feedback loops that you're running and looking back and saying, okay, we did move from here to there. And you know what? We did knock out these revenue generating activities. What is your scorecard? And then R is rules of the game. And rules of the game might be a little bit different than you're thinking. It's not just, uh, it has something to do with the constraints, but it's realizing the physical and mental frameworks that limit your potential success. Physical and mental frameworks that limit your potential success. Challenging orthodoxy, and I love, love challenging orthodoxy to evolve and revolutionize performance. Think about it you know, from my world. I don't want to date myself, but I'm going to. My junior year in high school, we did not have a three-point line. I'm not that old. I'm 51. But my junior year in high school, we did not have a three-point line. What if they never came up with the three-point line? The game of basketball would be completely, completely different. No shot clock. I mean, think about all the different things, all the different ways games have changed, all the, the different things that have evolved over time because they challenged orthodoxy. You look at the Super Bowl this year with the female official. Amazing. She didn't accept the way things were, right? She kept challenging orthodoxy, rules of the game. And finally, why is you? At the end of the day, the most important person we're coaching every single day is ourselves, right? And it's a never-ending commitment to a strong body. Are you taking care of yourself? Sleep, eat, rest, right? A strong body and mind, one focus on self-improvement and commitment to winning the game of life. Discipline work focused on becoming the best leader and team member possible. Are you being your best? It's not about being the best. It's about being your best, right? Every single day. And have you yet developed the ability? We talked about this several podcasts ago. Have you developed the ability to do your best even when you're not what? At your best, right? Knowing the role one plays in the respective success and taking responsibility for it. Now, that is the core foundation pillars, the drills of victory defined for us. And we layer that again against the five fundamentals of being a high impact coach, of being an elite coach. And, and this is something that I've developed over many, 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 many years of coaching in the athletic world and in the business world. And those five fundamentals are this, preparation, communication, execution, reflection, and adaption. First one's preparation. Second one is communication. Third one is execution. Fourth is reflection, running that feedback loop. And then fifth is adaption 
which is what? It's an adjustment. It's making the necessary changes. Those are the five fundamentals of being a high impact coach. And when you put those with victory defined, you really start getting and digging into not only what victory means to you, but how do you achieve it? But before we go, I'll give you an example of the type of questions I would ask a client. Okay. Let's just say we were talking about values and communication. I would ask a client, okay, let's rate this on a scale of one to five. You read this question to yourself and you rank yourself. One being low, five being strongly agree. Okay. One being strongly disagree, five being strongly agree. My values propel me to be an impactful communicator. I listen to understand, ask powerful follow-up, open-ended and purposeful questions, and I have the ability to connect with people where they are at their level. Okay. That's just an example. Okay. Of values. I'll give you a couple more. Intangibles. Let's do preparation for intangibles. I am meticulous in my preparation. Again, scale of one to five, one being strongly disagree that this statement is true. Five strongly agree that you could say this statement is true. I am meticulous in my preparation, prioritize my daily activities as they relate to my goals, projects, and tasks, ask a lot of questions, believe successes in the details, and look to gain a competitive advantage by learning as much as I can about my role, product line, customers, clients, and competition. Let's go creativity because that's very unique when you start talking about all these things. And, and really, when I was coaching college basketball, creativity was one. I love doing scouting reports. I love studying other teams. I love making tweaks to the game plan. All right, creativity, execution. When things are not going as planned or desired, I will think outside the box, try something new, and maybe even do something unconventional. I will take risk. So that gives you kind of an idea of how we insert the five fundamentals, layer them against the seven drills, if you will, of victory defined, the seven pillars, values, again, values, intangibles, creativity, team, objective, rules of the game, and finally, you. And speaking of you, if you have interest in finding out more about that, feel free to please reach out to me, ed at the Molitor group, and it is all spelled out, T-H-E-M-O-L-I-T-O-R group, G-R-O-U-P dot com, and send me an email, inquire about it. We have some great programs wrapped around that. But and the other thing, I, I love receiving emails where folks share stories and share things that are going on in their world and how it pertains to them. And they may have a comment about, for instance, the Giannis quotes or Bryson, maybe some huge Bryson DeChambeau's fans out there. God love you. I hope you can hit 5,000 yards down the middle too. Well, not so much down the middle, but it's been a blast. I love this. I really could talk all day. All right. I've kept you quite a while for a solo cast, but love, 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 love. Feedback. Find out more about what we do at the Molitor Group at themolitorgroup.com at Molitor on Instagram. Uh, you got my personal Facebook page, which is at Molitor. You have the business Facebook page, which is the Molitor Group. And would love, check me out on LinkedIn. Love LinkedIn. I think it's an incredible platform. If you're one of those folks that just keeps soliciting business from me, please stop. Okay, please stop. I have an incredible team here at the Molitor Group. Love the way we do things. Love some of the stuff we have coming out. It's going to be a lot of fun here in the not so distant future with all the stuff we've got coming up. But hope you continue to have a great day, continue to have a great week. And if there's anything, anything we can do here, or if I can do personally, please let me know again, ed at themolitorgroup.com. Okay. And don't forget to ask yourself the question, am I doing the best I can with what I have to become the best I am capable of becoming? Thank you for listening to The Athletics of Business. Be sure to give us a rating and review so we know how we're doing. For more information about the show, visit theathleticsofbusiness.com. Now, get out there, think, act, and execute at the highest level to unleash your greatness.